In our last episode, I explained what glycation is and the potentially deadly after-effects of the final products of glycation, the advanced glycation end products. If you could hear them at work, they might sound like this. I described the interactions among internally produced advanced glycation end products, or AGES, dietary advanced glycation end products, or DAGES, and their cell receptors, RAGES. Now we will look at what can be done to reduce the accumulated load of advanced glycation end products, reduce their damaging effects, and reduce their tone to... Hi, I'm Mark Timmon, the Healthy Geezer. I have a master's degree in clinical nutrition, and I've been studying the nutrition and biochemistry behind health and disease for over 49 years. If you want to know how to build better health and how to protect yourself against disease, then this is the place for you. Welcome to the Healthy Geezer podcast. This is episode seven, Don't Be Such a Stiff, part two, Managing and Escaping Ages, Dages, and Rages. Several studies in animal models have shown that restricting the consumption of dietary ages can lead to an increased lifespan. There is no reason to expect that the same wouldn't be true for humans, so let's do our best to get rid of them. The formation of new dietary advanced glycation end products during cooking can be significantly reduced by shortening cooking times, cooking at lower temperatures, employing moist heat as in boiling and steaming, and by using acidic ingredients such as lemon juice or vinegar. However, we have more control over our exposure to glycation products through food selection rather than food preparation. Careful food selection and timing of when you eat it can significantly moderate the degree of glycation that will form inside your body. I will warn you that the first guideline for food selection can be difficult. Here it is. Cut way back on sugar consumption. Why is that difficult? Remember the therapsids we met in an earlier podcast? They ate piles of fruit and berries and left us with an innate appreciation of all things sweet. I relish the memory of scarfing down the biggest Dairy Queen soft serve ice cream cone in my youth, for instance. They were only 25 cents back then. And even though a crisp chocolate chip cookie can be deliciously satisfying at times, Uh, My choice today is to be buried with a few cookies in my casket rather than a few cookies in my stomach. Of course, it is easier for senior citizens in general to reduce or eliminate sugar consumption. Both the craving for sweets diminishes and self-control improves as we age. That is a good thing since we have seen how ages accumulate over time. Among the dastardly sugars that fuel glycation, fructose is particularly pro-inflammatory and speeds up the aging process. It also promotes the kind of dangerous growth of visceral fat cells around your organs that are implicated in diabetes and heart disease. Fructose was thrust into the American diet in a big way in the 1970s thanks to initiatives given to corn growers by the Nixon administration. You can learn more about that fiasco in my blog, Where'd all that sugar come from anyway? Or thanks, Dick. Find it in the Learn About section of MarkTemon.com. 
After being green-lighted by the Nixon administration, corn syrup and high-fructose corn syrup very quickly insinuated themselves into a host of processed foods and began to replace refined sugar in soft drinks. Sugar is bad enough being 50% fructose, while high-fructose corn syrup is about 55% fructose. It was during this time, the 1970s, that pure crystalline fructose was also promoted as an alternative to bad sugar. It was promoted for use by diabetics because fructose does not elevate blood sugar levels. Blood sugar is glucose, not fructose. That may sound great, but fructose turned out to be disastrous for diabetics and for everybody else. We later learned that fructose did far more to advance obesity and tissue glycation than even white table sugar. But the damage was done and continues today. On average, Americans consume two and a half pounds of sugar a week per capita. All that sugar creates the internal ages associated with declining organ function. Dietary ages may also be related as indicated by findings that show restricting intake of dietary ages and exercise reduce circulating ages while also leading to further reduction in oxidative stress and inflammation. That makes sense because Cutting back on dietary ages reduces the totality of circulating advanced glycation end products. That subsequently reduces the number of attachment events to their cell receptors, the rages. Rages are immunoglobulins sticking out of cell membranes, the attachment to them of either dietary or internally produced advanced glycation end products triggers the receptors, thereby activating a cascade of immune reactions, inflammation, and oxidative stress. These facts point the way to redemption, telling us to do all we can to limit the advanced glycation end products in our bodies as much as possible. Low-quality carbohydrates such as fructose, white bread, sugar, pasta, pastries, cookies, and candy feed the aging beast, pun intended. So, to the best of your ability, don't eat them or eat them only occasionally and in smaller quantities to reduce sugar intake. This practice includes avoiding grains and foods made from grain, even gluten-free grains. Gluten-free grains have become more widely used in a quest for improved health. Although they may lack inflammatory gluten, they still provide ample starch that will be digested down to simple sugars that subsequently offer material for the synthesis of glycation end products. It is the immune system that works hard to defend against ages, Recall, for example, how macrophages carry many receptors to lure circulating ages to their death? A macrophage's rages also allow it to attach to glycation end products embedded in or on the outside of cells affected by glycation. To help fight the formation of glycation products in the blood, in the digestive tract, in and on cells and connective tissues, a standard recommendation is to limit total fructose consumption below 25 grams per day. 15 grams is a better goal for anyone with metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, diabetes, or obesity, and is more in line with the dietary intake of fructose a century ago when its primary sources were fruits and vegetables. I am now going to diverge into a verbal sidebar about a few additional aspects of fructose. I believe it is important to know more about this sugar that was perceived as a healthy food in the 1970s and has instead proved to be quite lethal. 
The 15 to 25 gram limit on daily intake appears at this time to be safe. Let's take a brief look at what and how much of what you can eat that might account for 25 grams of fructose. A 4-ounce slice of honeydew melon contributes about 2.4 grams and a 5-ounce orange about 2.7 grams. An apple or a pear can eat up nearly half the 25-gram allowance by delivering nearly 11 to 13 or 14 grams of fructose. A 3-ounce slice of pineapple, on the other hand, allows more choice in a day's available food selections by contributing only 1.6 to 1.75 grams of fructose. The pineapple also brings along the enzyme bromelain, a good protein digestant and fibrolinic enzyme. That means it fights blood clot formation and improves circulation. Fruit juices are another matter. You can expect to find 14 to 17.5 grams of fructose in an 8-ounce glass of juices, such as apple or grape juice. That can put a serious dent in the safe daily allowance for fructose. Citrus juices fare better with orange juice bringing just about 6 grams in a 6.7-ounce glass full. That's about 200 milliliters of juice. But soft drinks can sink the best intentions one might have to limit fructose intake. A 16-ounce can or bottle of cola at 28.7 grams blows away the 25-gram limit. Want to try Sprite instead? That gives you 25.5 grams. Okay, back off to ginger ale. That's 18.1 grams. The bottom line is that soft drinks don't leave any room in the diet to eat much of anything else if the goal is to limit fructose to safe levels. Nearly all fructose must be metabolized by the liver, which puts quite a burden on it. Glucose, by contrast, is handled primarily by all cells of the body, especially the brain, leaving only about 20% to be processed by the liver. With fructose, the liver labors to convert fructose to free fatty acids, very low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, and triglycerides, which are tucked away as body fat, often and dangerously around internal organs. Glucose is not nearly as dangerous. Although glucose, too, can be used to generate ages, its relation to obesity is negligible relative to fructose. When you eat 120 calories of glucose, less than one calorie is stored as fat. 120 calories of fructose results in 40 calories being stored as fat. Glucose, which is the natural sugar that fuels the human body, suppresses the hunger hormone ghrelin and stimulates another hormone, leptin. Leptin is a hormone secreted from fat cells that suppresses your appetite, helping to regulate body weight. Okay, good. Glucose suppresses the hormone that makes you hungry, ghrelin, and calls forth another hormone, leptin, that kills your appetite. Three cheers for glucose, as far as hormonal responses are concerned, anyway. Fructose, on the other hand, does not affect ghrelin, leaving one hungry, and interferes with your brain's communication with leptin, keeping the brain from knowing you are not, or should not, be hungry any longer. The result is poor appetite control and, usually, overeating. The fatty acids created during fructose metabolism accumulate in your liver and skeletal muscle tissues, contributing to insulin resistance and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or NAFLD. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, at various levels of severity, is estimated to affect one-third of the United States population. Nixon's actions in 1970 had unintended consequences. 
Furthermore, insulin resistance related to fructose metabolism sets the stage for the development of the metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes. Therefore, it is prudent to examine your diet and evaluate how much fructose you regularly consume. Returning from the sidebar, let's continue with what we can do to control and remove ages. Over episode 6 and here into episode 7, I've talked about eliminating or restricting sugar, grain, and starch intake. I mentioned that cooking foods in moist heat, and for shorter times, can reduce dietary ages. I've pointed out that exercise helps remove glycation end products and that grapeseed extract reactivates macrophages that have eaten up so much glycated LDL cholesterol that they were immobilized, buried in the plaque they sought to remove. But you will still, no matter how disciplined you are, at times desire food that tastes sweet. Stevia leaf powder and stevia extract can be used to sweeten foods and beverages. Date sugar, coconut sugar, and palm sugar are more complex, pleasant-tasting alternatives to sucrose that you find in cane, beet, and maple sugar. Honey, which can have some intriguing flavors depending on variety, is still about 38% fructose and 31% glucose, so I find it hard to support its use except in very limited quantities. Agave syrup is another alternative sweetener quickly embraced by the health food industry as a remedy for the use of unhealthy sugar. Alas, just like fructose decades earlier, agave has proved to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. It is a highly processed sap that runs from 56% to 90% fructose. Let it continue to be used to make tequila and drown worms. But in the end, no matter what you eat, protein and carbohydrates will be consumed, providing the building materials for glycation products. Simply eating to stay alive initiates the glycation process that moves through a series of complicated reactions from early to intermediate and finally on to advanced glycation end products, ages. It sounds impossible to avoid, and it is. We stepped up our exposure to advanced glycation end product ages ago. Cooking food, both meat and vegetables, denatured proteins to make them more digestible and broke down cellulose-based cell walls in plants, making the micronutrients locked inside abundantly available. Discovering fire and putting it to use released Homo habilis and Homo erectus from the confines of their smaller brains and minds that tilted toward cunning survival. They blossomed into us, Homo sapiens sapiens with a larger brain, endowed with curiosity, deep perception, creativity, and a drive to master our surroundings. But cooking food increases the amounts of amino acid and sugars presented by the foods we eat and expands the number of preformed dietary advanced glycation end products in the food. Cooked food, therefore, brings us more raw materials by which we can make our internal ages and floods us with more dietary ages. We are now between a rock and a hard place, literally, for advanced glycation end products are rather stiff, inflexible structures. Should we return to a raw food diet to slash our glycation end products and enhance health and longevity? You may hear some cheering in the background from advocates of a raw food diet, but studies suggest that is not the answer. You see, our digestive capabilities have adjusted over the last two million years such that raw foods can no longer sustain us at peak health. 
Those moderns who try to sustain themselves on a raw food diet certainly lose weight, which is often an initial goal of adopting such a diet. But over the long term, tissue wasting becomes noticeable, health and immunity begin to falter. If a raw food diet that minimizes glycation products fails to support optimal health, we are left with diets that will unequivocally allow us to form ages and accumulate them over time. We have obviously been living with them through long, deep evolutionary epochs, so are we becoming overly concerned about them now simply because science has advanced to the point where we can see them and discern what they do to us? Well, it depends mostly on your particular lifestyle and food choices, as do so many serious questions related to nutrition. You should be concerned and then become informed because glycation can be managed. The best practices include exercise and limited sugar intake, of course. I like to put exercise right at the top of the list of lifestyle practices to control and reduce, yes, reduce, accumulated glycation end products. It is well established that exercise tends to counteract the effects of aging. Indeed, decreases in multiple biomarkers of glycation show that resistance training reduces the amount of glycation. Lifting weights, using elastic bands, push-ups, sit-ups, especially with added weight on your chest or behind your neck, will work. Stressing the muscles and stretching the tendons removes glycation products. However, if pumping iron is not your thing, regular, prolonged exercise of almost any kind will help reduce or arrest glycation. Hiking, running, swimming, and it doesn't have to be across the English Channel, will all work. There are also natural and unnatural supplements that can block or remove glycation products. Aminoguanidine is a synthetic drug that can inhibit internal age formation and dismantle some established glycation products and is now available as a supplement. It can reduce the presence in tissues of advanced glycation end products associated with the complications of diabetes and with cardiovascular disease. Aminoguanidine ameliorates glycation-initiated nerve damage, as well as cataract development and progression in diabetes. It also prevents age-related arterial stiffening and cardiac hypertrophy typical of aging. Secondly, aminoguanidine inhibits the enzyme inducible nitric oxide synthase, or INOS for short. It is not to be confused with the endothelial nitric oxide synthase, or ENOS. You will recall from episode 6 that ENOS is a good enzyme, making nitric oxide where it can act to relax artery walls. INOS, on the other hand, once activated, overproduces nitric oxide, leading to inflammation that contributes to multiple chronic diseases. Although it can inhibit INOS, don't rush out to buy aminoguanidine just yet. It is a man-made substance with some potentially undesirable effects on a few of your body's regulatory systems. In short, you don't need it. Quercetin is better. And what is that? Quercetin is one of the most abundant dietary polyphenols found in citrus fruits, tree and root barks, green leafy vegetables, buckwheat, nuts, flowers, broccoli, olive oil, apples, onions, green tea, red grapes, red wine, dark cherries, and berries such as blueberries and cranberries, as well as many seeds. In all three stages of glycation, early, intermediate, and late, 
Tests of glycation of albumin protein in human serum show that quercetin is a better and more potent anti-glycating agent than aminoguanidine at all stages of glycation. Beyond reducing levels of glycated products, quercetin decreases reactive oxygen species and increases activity of the antioxidant enzyme copper-zinc superoxide dismutase. It also reduces inflammatory cytokine messengers, tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-1 beta, interleukin-6, and quiets inflammatory enzymes, cyclooxygenase 2, COX-2, and inducible nitric oxide synthase, or INOS. So who needs aminoguanidine? No one, really. Natural plant substances can inhibit glycation just as well or better. But can they destroy and remove established ages? I can give another answer in the affirmative. Some can. Aging leads to the accumulation of what used to be considered irreversible advanced glycation end products. They contribute to the disastrous outcomes of diabetes and to vascular stiffening and endothelial dysfunction that results in plaque formation. Cross-linkages of glycation products to proteins need to be broken if the long-standing ages are to be removed. Epicatechin can do that. It is a polyphenol most easily obtained in the form of grapeseed, pine bark, and green tea extracts. It has been written that epicatechin has a, quote, crushing effect, close quotes, on ages. Botanical extracts concentrate polyphenols that have strong abilities to inhibit or stop glycation. Finding definitive evidence that they may also break apart and remove glycation products at any of the three stages of development is more difficult because the research simply has not been done on so many of them as it has been done on epicatechin. However, even if age-busting cannot be proved for all botanical antioxidants at this time, inhibition of glycation by them not only reduces the number of glycation products, but also reduces the number of receptors or rages. Reductions of both ages and the receptor points for them has a few benefits. Glycation inside cells is reduced, immune responses are quelled, reactive oxygen species are reduced, inflammation goes down, plaque formation is inhibited, foam cells, if present, may recover, and glycation assaults on the eyes, nerves, and kidneys slow or cease. Over time, with an anti-glycation diet plus exercise and supplementation with appropriately chosen nutrients, it should be possible to reverse tissue glycation. I do not include just vitamins and minerals in my personal definition of nutrients. Many botanical extracts and other bioactive food substances so profoundly affect human biochemistry that they are just as important to health as the known vitamins and minerals. In other words, we are only beginning to understand just what is needed to reach optimal health. Indications are that far more than just the familiar vitamins and minerals are needed. That quercetin and epicatechin perform so well against advanced glycation products hints that there must be other plant substances of equal value. Indeed, the list of natural inhibitors is growing. Five of them are punicalligans from pomegranate, Elagic acid from pomegranate, persimmon, raspberry, black raspberry, strawberry, peach, plums, walnuts, almonds, and wine. Curcumin from turmeric. Procyanidins or proanthocyanidins or OPCs or PACs from grape seed extract, especially proanthocyanidin B2. And alpha-lipoic acid alone and in combination with vitamin B6, pyridoxine. 
Vitamin C is a surprise. This most familiar of all antioxidants is not particularly or universally effective at blocking the formation of ages. In the lens of the eye, oxidized vitamin C plus glucose actually contribute to glycation of the lens and cataract formation. Beyond the lens of the eye, it appears insufficient pickup of electrons, reduction by vitamin C, is involved in glycation and oxidation processes on proteins. If you think that more vitamin C may be better and magically turn the nutrient into an anti-glycating agent, studies do not clarify the issue. One gram daily dosages administered for three months had an insignificant effect on glycated hemoglobin in red blood cells, yet 1,250 milligrams, one and a quarter grams, administered for two months, eight weeks, resulted in enhanced anti-atherosclerotic effects via an improvement of lipoprotein parameters, antioxidation, and anti-glycation, especially in smokers. So who knows? Indeed, the evidence looking for anti-glycating effects of vitamin C is mixed. Positive reports seem to be in the minority among the papers I reviewed for this podcast, but one finding was consistent. The source of vitamin C used in the studies was not natural. It was pure ascorbic acid, a substance synthesized usually from corn sugar and lacking any co-nutrients that are found alongside vitamin C in food. This is significant. Human biochemistry adapted to vitamin C from natural sources, the wild plants and fruits we ate as hunter-gatherers. That vitamin C in plants comes along with a host of polyphenols and other food substances that assist in carrying out vitamin C's functions and may enhance its full and correct metabolism. Vitamin C commonly interacts with other nutrients to achieve its ends. I propose that perhaps vitamin C from whole foods and extracted with cofactors from plants may be more safely managed, thereby avoiding vitamin C-derived glycation products. The presence of ellagic acid, punicalligans, and certainly epicatechin in foods that are known sources of vitamin C suggests that the full balance of these vitamin C complex factors are needed for glycation-free utilization of vitamin C. Among the legion of antioxidants that can interfere with and inhibit glycation processes, I should touch on the dipeptide carnosine. It is made from the amino acids histidine and alanine and has quite a reputation as a prime combatant against ages. That reputation is legitimate, but indications are that 1,000 milligrams or more will be needed to protect against the formation of advanced glycation end products. At that level, carnosine is a highly potent anti-glycating agent with additional but minor metal chelating and antioxidant properties. This brings a special benefit to heart health. Carnosine, or even its constituent amino acids, beta-alanine and L-histidine, inhibit the glycation of LDL cholesterol. That lowers the risk of plaque formation and inflammation of the arterial lining. Carnosine also inhibits cholesterol accumulation in macrophages and their conversion to foam cells, further lowering the risk of plaque formation. Are you starting to feel a little better? Control sugar intake, do less high heat cooking, eat more vegetables, exercise, and take several hundred milligrams of quercetin, grapeseed and green tea extracts, all topped off with a gram or two of carnosine. Sounds like a plan, doesn't it? But wait, there's more! Please pardon my enthusiasm, there are just so many nifty nutrients that can help build optimal health that I feel compelled to carry on. I must tell you about chondroitin sulfate A, or more precisely, chondroitin 4-sulfate. They are the same thing. 
You are probably more familiar with it as simply CSA. Yes, this is the same bioactive food substance famous for its use in helping restore cartilage and connective tissue in arthritic joints. But before it was promoted for joint health, it was known for promoting cardiovascular health. Human trials at the Institute for Arteriosclerosis Research of Loma Linda University in California during the 1960s and 1970s, in addition to other seminal research, told the world how CSA could lower blood fats, triglycerides, and various forms of cholesterol, and reverse pre-existing arterial plaque in rats, rabbits, monkeys, and human patients with histories of cardiovascular disease. In human clinical trials, initial daily dosages for the first three months of treatment called for 10 grams or 6 grams, followed by reductions to 3 grams for several more months, and then to 1.5 grams for the duration of the six years study. The data shows that CSA has pronounced antithrombotic, that's anti-blood clot, and anticoagulant effects. As such, it offers protection against random blood clot formation, consequently lowering the risk of sudden death from heart attacks. Blood flow is improved from the anticoagulant effect, and occlusive plaque deposits are reduced. The opening of the arteries reduces the risk of stroke and improves recovery in those who have had strokes. Angina is also rendered more infrequent or eliminated. Incorporation of CSA into the extracellular matrix of the arteries helps restore flexibility to connective tissue in the artery walls. How does that work? Arteries slowly lose collagen and elastin components in their connective tissue in the extracellular matrix over time while simultaneously gradually accumulating glycation end products. Give a patient enough CSA and that trend can be reversed. More recent research verifies that both sulfated and unsulfated chondroitins have protective properties against advanced glycation end product induced toxicity. Indications are that CSA and other sulfated polysaccharides attach to receptors for ages and additionally block the uptake by cells of glycation products. You will recall that when a glycated end product hooks up with its receptor, a rage on the cell membranes, a series of biochemical events is set in motion that includes building glycation products inside the cell. If CSA instead hooks up with the rage, the result is to stupefy the receptor and block the synthesis of glycation products within the cell. The subsequent inflammatory response that would have been triggered if an age had hooked up with the receptor instead of CSA is also blighted. To say it simply, CSA quells vascular inflammation, reduces cellular glycation, and rebuilds flexible connective tissue within the artery. These effects, added to its anticoagulant and antithrombotic attributes, cause CSA to reverse arterial stiffness and improve blood flow while getting rid of glycation end products. To button up the last two podcasts, I must stress that glycation will always be a present danger, but you can adopt dietary and lifestyle practices that can control and remove them. If you exercise regularly, don't eat sugar or sweets, ignore grain-based foods, avoid soft drinks and fruit juices. If you eat lots of antioxidant-rich, non-starchy vegetables and colorful fruits that are loaded with antioxidants. And if you supplement your diet with additional botanical antioxidants, carnosine, and CSA, then you can probably reduce the glycation end products to a minor concern. Turn the heavy knell of the ages into the light chime of a Tibetan bell. Eat wisely, stay healthy, and don't be such a stiff. And remember, eating is a duty, 
One must get one's recreation elsewhere. Just go ahead and make it taste good. Thank you for the privilege of your time. The Healthy Geezer podcast is researched, written, and produced by me, The Healthy Geezer. Our theme music is by the Camden Jazz Trio. You can find episodes of the Healthy Geezer podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Podcast Gang, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and wherever you go to access podcasts. Episodes, as well as written transcripts, plus blogs on additional topics on health and nutrition, are also available at our website, marktimmon.com. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend to tune in to the Healthy Geezer podcast and be sure to subscribe by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast directory's platform. If you have questions, I will do my best to answer them. Just send an email to mark at marktimmon.com. That's Mark with a K and Timmon with one M, all as one word, M-A-R-K-T-I-M-O-N.com. Thank you.